Acts 15, verses 22 to 41. Uh, it says this. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth, by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they d- delivered the letter. And when they, le- when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, and many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in the city, uh, in every city where we proclaimed uh, the, gospel, the, the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commanded by, uh, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, every word of your scripture is meaningful and, and uh, important for us to consider and understand its implications for our lives. And Lord, we pray for this text tonight that uh, as we look at it, that your Holy Spirit would be at work here. God, that uh, the words prepared wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, simply words of man, but that your Spirit would be working and speaking uh, through me as I submit to your word. God, I pray that you would just be encouraging us and strengthening us in our understanding of who you are and your desire for our, our lives and for the organizations with which we're a part and uh, how we can best serve one another, how we can best uh, proclaim the gospel to the, to our world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, last week we uh, started this section, which uh, which was about the Jerusalem Council. So as you know, uh, we were previously in Galatians, and and the topic there was that there was a divide coming in uh, because of uh, people who had come to nations that uh, that Paul had evangelized and had had been telling them that in order to become a Christian, they actually needed to become Jews first. And these were called Judaizers. And so uh, this group of people had gone out uh, into Galatia and said, uh, you know, it's great that you have faith in Christ, 
to actually be a Christian, you first have to become a Jew, uh, be circumcised and submit to the law of Moses, and then you can actually be a Christian. And so, uh, so Paul had experienced that with the Galatians, and now he's returned to Antioch, and, uh, and the, that same issue is occurring throughout uh, the Mediterranean region. And so there's a council formed called the Jerusalem Council. And that's what we saw last week was the Jerusalem Council. And throughout that time, what we saw was uh, the, uh, the church coming to agreement upon uh, what, uh, what the, the uh, single thing they unify on, which is simply faith in Christ for salvation. And so today we're looking at, uh, is there such a thing as division for the gospel? Is there a right way to divide uh, among us? So when it comes to church, we often like to talk about uh, church growth in terms of uh, addition and, uh, and maybe even multiplication. Uh, you know, those are typically the, um, what, are those, what are those called? Operations. That's what I was looking for. Got a, a, a guest mathematician here for my uh, for for aiding me in some of these terms. So uh, the addition and, and and multiplication are typically the terms we like to use when we're thinking about how a church is supposed to grow. Um, and so I had a, I've had experience with this in a number of groups that I've been a part of over the years. Uh, one in specific that I remember is uh, my wife and I were part of a group called the Navigators. It's a great group of people, uh, but uh, the, in, in some of the first meetings we had with them, uh, one of the key things that was shared was uh, this, this strategy of, of how this movement was going to start. And the strategy is always, you know, one person tells another person, and then those two people tell another person, other people, and then you begin to multiply the impact of a small group of people uh, throughout, throughout uh, the world. And so, uh, you know, typically when we think of church growth, we think of that being the case, that one person tells another person about Jesus, and you add one, and then uh, those two people tell other two people about Jesus, and then you add two more to that. And so you go on adding and, and, and multiplying. And I'd say those are probably the most uh, exciting operations to use when you're talking about uh, church growth, adding and multiplying and growing and, and, uh, and doing that. And so... Um, but often, I would say this, the, the fact is that church growth uh, often happens by starting with division. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. And this is actually true uh, in, in, uh, in life. Like if you look at cells, whenever a cell, whenever our body is ready to produce new cells, it doesn't multiply, it actually divides itself to create two new cells out of itself. So the growth of our, our cells actually is from a point of division that, uh, that creates additional uh, units. And so um, cell division is, is a perfect example of we're seeing growth through division. And I'd say we see that in the church in some ways as well. We'll, we'll look at that uh, throughout our time tonight. So as we saw last week, what brings us together is essential. And we saw that in the Jerusalem Council. But it's also just as important to know how we ought to divide in the church. What does division look like in our churches? It's important to consider uh, what we're unified around, but it's just as important to consider what we div- how we're divided. Um, so uh, we're going to walk through this letter that was given and, and see again, uh, see really for a second time, uh, what we're unifying around as the church, as those who proclaim Christ as their Savior. Um, and 
uh, then we'll also see uh, division. So two things for us to look at today, unity and division for the gospel. So let's start by reminding ourselves uh, what we found Christians to be united on. So in verses 22 to 35, we see uh, unity for the gospel. And uh, there, there are three sections here. Um, we're going to look at what the problem is, who was sent to, in resolution of the problem, and what the resolution actually was. So uh, first looking at uh, verse 24. So what, what is the problem uh, that is being addressed here? Verse 24, um, the, the church in Jerusalem has sent out a group of people. And what we see in verse 24 is this, that uh, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction. Again, those individuals that had gone out uh, without any authority from the church in Jerusalem had gone out proclaiming this basic idea that in order to become a Christian, you actually had to become a Jew first. You had to accept uh, Judaism and uh, the law of Moses and, and circumcision as a symbol of that. And then by doing so, you could then become a Christian after that. Uh, so those are the Judaizers. And, uh, and Paul has been uh, plainly uh, defending the gospel against that understanding and saying, no, it is by faith alone in Christ uh, that we come to salvation. We saw him throughout Galatians over and over hit on that in many, uh, many types of ways, saying that if we placed our faith in any other things than uh, simply what Christ had accomplished, we nullify what Christ has done. We say uh, that it wasn't important what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, Jesus, you know, that's great that he did that, but I also need this. So Paul said, if we do that, we're saying that the cross was insufficient to atone for our sin, and that we actually need other things to add on. And so um, Paul has plainly to the Galatians said, listen, there's nothing else you need to be justified before God except faith in Christ alone and what he has accomplished. The implications of that in your life play out, but uh, the, the primary justification that we receive because, uh, for our sin is found in Christ and in Christ alone. So what was the problem? The, this group of, uh, at, at this time, there were basically two types of Christians. And there were Christians who believed that uh, in order to become a Christian, you first had to be a Jew and then become a Christian. And then there were Christians who uh, were Gentiles and had never had been Jews and uh, had accepted Christ because of the preaching of primarily Paul and Barnabas and others who had gone out from the Jerusalem church, uh, Peter, even as he ministered to Cornelius. Um, and so there were groups, there were these two groups, groups that had, were Jewish and became Christian and thought that was the only way, and groups that, uh, groups that thought that were Gentile Christians and came without any relation to Judaism at all. And so there was a group among uh, the Jewish Christians that was saying that Gentiles must become Jews uh, before becoming Christians. Uh, but we, what we saw uh, last week and, and this week is that the whole church is in one accord on this issue. As the council met in Jerusalem, which is the primary locus of Christianity at this time, as they met and considered this issue and the importance of it, the implications of it, they determined uh, basically uh, that that was not the case. That Gentiles who placed their faith in Jesus did not have to become Jews, did not have to submit to the law of Moses uh, and, and the purity laws of Moses. Um, uh, 
in order to become Christians. And so they denied that, and we saw that they denied it with a threefold argument uh, throughout our time last week. Uh, we saw plainly that salvation doesn't depend on Judaic purity, but on faith in Jesus. And we saw that, again, in three ways. Peter proclaimed it uh, in this way, saying that the Holy Spirit had shown that his presence could go out without Judaic ritual. So when Peter came and preached to uh, Cornelius, uh, they, they shared the gospel with Cornelius and his family. And immediately as they accepted uh, Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. So these Gentile believers became filled with the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God was, was evident among them. And they had not performed, you know, they were not circumcised. They had not submitted to uh, purity laws of Judaic faith. They had simply trusted in Jesus for salvation. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in that time. So that was the first thing, uh, the presence of God without ritual shown by the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we saw last week was that Paul and Barnabas uh, were, their, their mission itself was testimony that faith in Christ was sufficient. As they went about preaching the gospel throughout these cities, miracles and signs and wonders were accomplished as they shared Jesus with those around them. And so the mission itself showed that signs and wonders were occurring without any uh, any ritual connection uh, to uh, the Judaic faith. And finally, we saw James testify uh, at the end of the council last week that uh, from the Old Testament indicating that, that the Gentiles will be called by the name of the Lord. And so we saw from uh, an argument from the presence of God in people, from mission, uh, the mission of Paul and Barnabas, signs and wonders being done there, as well as uh, the Old Testament declaring that Gentiles will be called by the name, not that they would become Jews and then call on his name, but they would call on his name specifically. So we saw this argument indicating that, that the church had become in one accord on this issue, that salvation is found by faith in Christ alone and what Christ has accomplished. So what's the problem? You've got this group of people saying that that's not the case. And the Jerusalem Council has now said that that, that, that is the case. And uh, they're now sending this letter that we just read uh, to the church in Antioch, which is the primary place where this is being dealt with. And from there, it's sent out to other places uh, and shared to other places. And we see that in verses 25 to 27, who was chosen to uh, be sent to communicate this decision uh, to, uh, to Antioch and the Gentile churches. So 25 to 27 says this, uh, So it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who, per, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So what we see is that, uh, that Paul is chosen, Paul and Barnabas are chosen to be sent out to communicate this matter. Uh, so why is it important that Paul uh, was chosen to, uh, to share this message? It's important because we see in the, the choosing of these individuals, people who had risked their lives to share this truth, that we're proclaiming faith in Christ as the means of salvation rather than uh, uh, the adherence to uh, Judaic purity uh, law or uh, to, uh, to taking on the Jewish faith before becoming a Christian. And, uh, and this is important because there were two groups of people, and like I said, those who were proclaiming that you needed to um, take on Judaic faith first before becoming a Christian 
were looked on uh, with, uh, with, with less, um, less persecution than those who were proclaiming simply faith in Christ alone. Those who, pro- who were proclaiming uh, Judaic faith and then, uh, then Christ were actually, uh, in a way, bringing people into uh, the Jewish religion and therefore were, uh, received less persecution as a result of the message that they were proclaiming. And so what, what is being communicated and who is sent is this, that these men have been risking their lives to proclaim to you a message that, uh, that we believe is the truth and that they are being persecuted for. They've turned, uh, Paul is, is one, who was, uh, one who was doing the persecuting at one point, and now he has turned and is proclaiming the faith that he once persecuted. So they're saying, listen, they have, they have taken a significant step here in putting their lives out there to proclaim this message, that persecution has come with this. And throughout our study of Acts, at really Acts chapter 5 to 15, we've seen that to be the case. That as men and women uh, faithfully preached the gospel in this area, they were being met with persecution at every turn. And the Lord has been faithful to them, um, but persecution has been there. So by preaching Gentile inclusion, uh, persecution was being uh, avoided by some of these Judaizers. And so, uh, so what we see here in, in the people chosen is that uh, these were men who risked their lives. And so uh, they, they come with this message that, uh, that we have decided uh, this on the issue at hand. So finally, the question, uh, what's the resolution? We see it in verses 28 to 35. What is, what is the resolution that, is, uh, that has been given? Starting in 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they, they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were, with them, uh, who were themselves also prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. So, uh, so why give these notes of instruction? Why not just say, you know, these individuals are wrong uh, and, and just leave these other instructions out? So at the end of, uh, if you look at verses, um, verse 28 and 29, we see, for it seemed good to us that the Holy Spirit, uh, seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit uh, to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and for what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you do these things, you will do well. So why add on these additional requirements within this letter that is saying that there are no uh, requirements, simply faith in Jesus as uh, means of salvation? I would, I would say there are a few things, a few reasons uh, that we can look at for, that, for these additional instructions. Uh, the first is, is this. We're dealing with, again, a group of people that is made up of those who have come from Judaic faith and become Christians from that background and culture, and those who have not, who've come from Gentile faith, okay? Come from faith, uh, from a Gentile culture. Um, and so the instructions given here are, uh, are in one way to respect uh, one another's conscience, okay? 
Paul talks about this various times about eating meat or eating or, or drinking alcohol with other people. That you need to respect your brother's conscience on particular issues. And so, uh, so to eat meat that had been um, uh, sacrificed to idols or, or strangled or, or blood might have been a normal practice for someone who was from a Gentile culture. That wasn't the case for someone who was from a Jewish culture. And so the instruction there is simply out of respect for your brothers and sisters that, that are there to not make them stumble. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's just an issue of respect there for uh, your, your brothers and sisters that uh, come from a different background and, and operate differently. So that's one reason to respect those who have uh, a view about this. The second one is to avoid uh, syncretism. Again, uh, while the Gentile culture was, uh, was okay with some of these things, you know, drinking of blood and, and the, uh, the food sacrificed to idols and, and things being strangled, uh, to participate in that also brings with it a risk of what's called syncretism, uh, meshing belief that there is some spiritual reality in the, this type of eating and fellowship with a Christian faith. And so when you meld those two together, you're actually saying, well, you know, I still do this, even though it has a spiritual connotation, uh, but, but I, I also trust in Christ. So there's a syncretism of belief that can occur by uh, continuing to engage in those particular activities uh, for, this, uh, for this culture that they're talking about. So, so one is to respect uh, the Jewish brothers and sisters that have come to the Lord from a Jewish culture. Uh, the second is to avoid syncretism that can occur by uh, meshing one cultural spirituality uh, with this Christian faith. And uh, the final is just a simple morality. Um, uh, the understanding of um, uh, abstaining from sexual immorality and even from uh, of abstaining from what has been sacrificed to idols. You're placing... Uh, an importance on something that God has, uh, you, you're worshiping something that has been offered to someone, some other God, so to speak. And so in that case, you're denying uh, the Lord's authority by, by taking a, uh, you know, a, a meat or something that had been sacrificed to an idol. So there's a simple morality issue there. Um, and the same with sexual immorality. While, while those that had come from a Gentile culture might have uh, had a, a, a different definition of what uh, sexuality looked like, for those who are following the Bible, that's, that's a very specific one. And so uh, there's a morality issue there. And so these instructions are, are given plainly to say um, we need to abstain from uh, food that's been sacrificed to idols or from blood, uh, from things that have been strangled, and for sexual immorality. And it says if you do these things, you'll, uh, you will do well. So uh, the, the resolution is given then that... Um, that those who come to faith from a Gentile background don't need to worry about becoming Jews in order to become Christians. Rather, uh, their faith in Christ is sufficient for them. So uh, the decision is brought forth and, and the letter is delivered. And what we see in verses 30 to 35 is a couple of things. We see both joy, rejoicing, as well as strength is given Joy uh, from the freeing truth of the gospel, the freeing truth that uh, they no longer have to depend upon uh, the laws, the purity laws of Moses to somehow purify themselves before the Lord, but they only depend on the purity that comes from our faith in Christ. There's a joy in that, the freeing truth of the gospel. Second, a strength that 
that there is a, a unity that has been established in the church. There's a, a plain understanding that this is what it means to be a Christian. It doesn't mean that you become a Jew and then you place your faith in Christ. It simply means that you place your faith in Christ and that is, He is your Lord and He is your Savior. And that gave this group of individuals uh, strength as they continued to go about the mission they were called to. So the Jerusalem Council shows us that we must actively maintain our unity. But as we have indicated, there's also a place and a time for division for the sake of the gospel. So first we've seen that uh, this group of people has been unified for the gospel around this basic truth that our justification before God, our salvation is found in our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, that he is our Lord and Savior. And Jesus is, is who we unify around. But what we see in verses 36 to 41 is, is that division has occurred, right? So reading on to verses 36 and, and following, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do, to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark, sailed with him to Cyprus, but Paul took Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So we see here that in spite of the fact that they've just been unified around this central truth in their Christian faith, uh, division occurs uh, soon after that time. Okay, And so how do we process this fact that division is part of our history and understanding of the church? Um, and what we understand is that there, uh, there is a reason, uh, a purpose for division uh, in, in the church and, and one that is positive for the gospel. What's happened here uh, is, you know, is essentially like, uh, just as the text said, uh, Paul thought it not good to take John Mark uh, with them on this mission. He thought that because John Mark had, had deserted Paul and Barnabas at, at one point, that now John Mark shares no part in the ministry that was occurring. And so that was Paul's view, right? That, no, you know, John Mark, he, he left us at one point, and so he's, he's decided that he's not going to be a part of these churches, so we don't want to bring him with us. But, uh, you know, Barnabas says, hey, like, John Mark, he's my cousin, you know, he probably knows more about John Mark's faith, and says, no, I want to bring him with me, and, uh, and so there became this plain disagreement, and I'm sure Barnabas is like, hey, like, you need to have some grace for this, you know, like, that's maybe his perspective, like, what's the big deal about bringing John Mark along? And uh, a side note on this is that, you know, later we know through uh, the letter to Philemon uh, that, that John Mark and, and Paul do actually reconcile at a later point and come together and, and Paul, there's some forgiveness that, uh, that seems to occur there. <clears throat> but there's reasons that uh, division occurs in the church and, and this one was, uh, you know, as a result of a disagreement. But just because they had a disagreement, does that mean that uh, they are not unified in their desire to proclaim the gospel? I would say no. I would say that there are many times where there is a disagreement or, uh, or something that happens that causes a division in the church, and that those divisions actually can be positive for those who are divided from one another, okay? uh, for our faith and for our understanding. 
And it's a you know, topic we don't talk about that often, but there are lots of reasons that we see people in the church divided uh, from one another for the good of the gospel. And so just list a few. There are a number. Um, in this case, it was a disagreement about what, uh, who needed to go, a practical disagreement about who needed to go on this mission, right? And it caused a, a split. Um, there's uh, the, understand, the, uh, the issue of discipline, when, uh, when people have submitted to, uh, to a church and uh, there has, there's been some sort of uh, issue of discipline about, and maybe there's been maybe some unrepentant sin or something, a, uh, the acting of discipline to, uh, to separate from one another can be positive both for the individual being disciplined as well as those doing the disciplining. It can be a positive thing for us to s- split off consider our actions in a separate manner, and then come back maybe later um, and, and, and reconcile at a later point, hopefully. It can be an issue of calling, of, of geographic separation, a, 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 an issue of uh, I feel called to this, this d- direction or I feel called to the other. It can be an issue of culture, of, of, how, we organ- of how we organize and how uh, maybe our distinctives and how things are organized in a, in a, in a church. It can be one of conviction, of a theological understanding that you hold so strongly that it, it, it impedes going forth in a unified manner on, on some things. So um, there are a number of examples of this, and I'll just share a few. Uh, so calling is, is one that, uh, that our background and our, uh, really our stream of faith, the restoration movement, has uh, seen in lots of ways. It's actually the inception of the restoration movement was when a number of pastors in America were called to go do missions to the frontiers. Uh, What happened was the denominations they were a part of wanted them to go to other cities, and they were they were directing these individuals, pastors, to go to uh, other cities on the East Coast. And so, what ended up happening was those pastors said, "Hey, I have a calling to go to the frontier. Like the Lord has told me." that I have to go to the frontier and minister the gospel in the frontier. And so the division resulted from that because of a calling on these individuals' lives. Did they disagree about what the gospel was? No, they were unified in what the gospel was. They disagreed on how they uh, were to structure, uh, structure their missions projects, basically. One was called to a different place, and, and so they had to uh, diverge from uh, the denomination they were part of as a result. Uh, another thing that has separated uh, churches is, is one of uh, simply culture, right? Uh, also, just another example actually from the Restoration Movement, uh, is a little Restoration Movement history lesson, I guess, for you. Uh, and so uh, there are a few different denominations that are within what's called the Restoration Movement. One is the Church of Christ. One is the Independent Christian Church, uh, First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. There's a handful of denominations that are from what's called the Restoration Movement. And a distinctive of the Church of Christ is that typically they do not use instruments in worship. Okay? So if you're with a group of people that has come to the conviction that we can't use instruments in worship— and this group of people says, no, we should use instruments in worship. Now, is that a division because of the gospel? Or is that a division because of, you know, an understanding, a, an interpretation of how church ought to operate? It's, it's, it's an interpretation on how church ought to operate. 
So is it okay for those churches to separate and say, you know, we need to go our way, you need to go your way? Yes, it's okay. And it can be done with much grace. Unfortunately, you know, with those things, typically it's not done with much grace. <laughs> typically it's done with hard feelings and, and, and brokenness, okay? Um, but really, uh, for the sake of the gospel, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, so it can be about, uh, division of the church can be about calling, it can be about culture, it can be about conviction. You know, there's a huge movement right now uh, in America called Acts 29, right? It's a reformed church planting network. And, uh, you know, they're doing great work for the gospel. I know lots of people that are Acts 29 church planters and love them dearly, uh, but they have a strong emphasis on a reformed background uh, understanding of, of, uh, of God and who he is. That, that is, that that all men who will be saved are predestined by God to be saved. It's a simple, simple explanation of that. And so uh, those in the network need to adhere to that type of understanding. Okay? And uh, so a theological conviction is, is one that can separate a group from another. And is that negative? No. I mean, I have many gospel-believing uh, friends in an Acts 29 network. I simply disagree with taking a stance in that issue. Okay, so it could be theological. There, there are many reasons that division can occur in the church, and I would say uh, that those things aren't necessarily a negative thing, that they can be very positive. Um, but the key to division being a positive thing for the gospel is that it be handled with the fruit of the Spirit. The division, uh, divisions that happen uh, whether they're cultural, whether they're uh, because of a calling, whether they're because of a conviction, whether they're because of discipline, ought to be handled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Without those things, we're going to make a mess of division in the gospel. We have to remember that division isn't necessarily a bad thing. It only becomes a bad thing when we make it a bad thing. Okay, so there, there are many implications are many times where division can be positive for the gospel. We see it in our text tonight, right? What happened? Paul and Silas go to one region and continue to encourage the churches and preach the gospel. And Barnabas splits from him, but he goes to another region. Now we have, you know, two groups of people going to two different places, actually doing more mission work than would have been accomplished if they would have stayed together. So division can be a very positive thing. You know, uh, for uh, the Church of Christ to be, uh, to sing a cappella, you know what, there are a lot of fabulous singers who are from the Church of Christ because there's an emphasis on, not on the instruments that sometimes, you know, uh, help us not worry about what our voice sounds like, <laughs> you know, uh, but because there's an emphasis on, what, on the voice that God has given us. And that can be a beautiful thing. And people can connect with that and come to know Jesus as a result of that distinctive. And the same can be true for those who have instruments, you know? I mean, obviously, we're into instruments here, right? Um, instruments are a beautiful thing. It can be used to glorify God. And so uh, there are now two separate, you know, entities that, that worship God in a different manner, but proclaim the same faith in Jesus Christ as the foundation of our justification before God. So, what we see here tonight is, is that a plain understanding of unity for the gospel is given because of this issue that has come up. The church has come out uh, in one accord stating 
that in order to be a Christ follower, your faith must be in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation. It shouldn't be in uh, your, your cultural distinctives or your background or your, uh, or, you know, your particular geographic calling or the culture you came from or, or whatnot. That's not where it's found. Your, your faith, your, your salvation comes from your faith in Jesus for righteousness. And the second thing we've seen tonight is that uh, division can be for the good of the gospel, for the, for the glory of Christ. If we handle it, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I would say that there are many times where an issue has come up, if we would just remember that in the midst of conflict, that we have to continue to display the fruit of the Spirit, we would handle conflict much better. We would handle division uh, for the gospel rather than uh, against it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the simplicity of it. That it's in Christ and in Christ alone that we find our hope. That in Christ we have assurance. That in Christ we have found righteousness before you, God. Lord, we pray that um, throughout your church where division occurs, that the fruit of Spirit would be displayed. God, we pray that um, you would give us patience to listen to our brothers and sisters when there's a difference. Give us discernment to know when it is wise to divide for the good of the gospel. When it is wise to go our separate ways that, that you might be exalted. Lord, we thank you that uh, there's a wrong way to divide and there's a right way to divide. We thank you that you show us the right way to divide. Lord, that we can divide and still love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Still uh, proclaim the same gospel. Still stand arm in arm, even though we have distinctives. We pray that you be with us now as we uh, turn to worship. Lord, as we remember that one thing which we do all unify around as Christians, that Christ is the center. That he is the one that gave his body, that he is the one that shed his blood. Lord, we pray that uh, you will be exalted as we uh, take time to remember uh, Christ's death and resurrection by celebrating communion together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.